0: Fearfully Courageous, from the sermon series, Beyond the Building, spoken by Pastor Peter on. So I don't know about you, but I really struggle with fear, it's, and you know, it took me a long time to kind of figure out where the genesis of that all started, and that's a whole nother story, another sermon that I'll share with you one day, uh, but uh, I do struggle with it at some, some levels, and I think it's not a bad thing to struggle with fear. Uh, you know, fear is not a bad emotion. Sometimes we think fear is so negative that we should sort of find ways to get rid of it. And so we feel like that's the task that, that's before us. How do we get rid of our fear? But I think that would be tragic because God created us with and has given us the emotion of fear. Right? And so it's not a bad thing because the Bible teaches us that fearing God is a good thing. And that really what that means is that it's important that you and I have this reverence for God that when we can have reverence for God, that's a healthy place for us to be so we don't take God for granted. But it's not a good thing if we're afraid of God, and that's very different, right? That we're afraid to engage with him because we're afraid that he might, like, hurt us or things like that. And that's not good. In fact, the number one commandment that Jesus gives in the Gospels is not love one another, but it's fear not stop being afraid, fear not, because God knows the frailty of our humanity. He understands that a lot of us, fear grips us so much that it paralyzes us, and that's what we don't want to happen. We don't want fear to grip us to a point where it paralyzes us, so then rather than responding to the fear, we actually react to it. And when we react to fear, we make horrible choices. Think about some of the horrible choices we've made, because for a lot of us, we react to fear rather than respond to fear Uh, i'm fearful today of sending my children to school every day they go to public schools i pray every day before they leave i pray in the evening i say god please protect them even this week we heard a story in the news where another a middle school kid decides to go to his middle school in indiana and he decides to go there with the intent of taking young people's lives colleagues of his and thank God for this teacher who tackled this boy. And he took a bullet for that, for, for to save the lives of the kids. And, and we hear these stories week after week. And I know we kind of get desensitized to it. But I know as a parent, we think about this stuff. And we sort of struggle with fear. And that I struggle with that. I struggle with fear in the sense where my kids, you know, I'm more worried that they don't have the proper faculties that as they grow up and they become an adult to deal with some of life adversities. You know, I think if anything, they've sort of been protected in some ways and they haven't really gone through anything as, as a child uh, in such a way that will prepare them for the real world. And, some, and so I have a sense of fear that as they go through life as an adult and they go through adversities, I'm afraid that they're not going to have the proper faculties or ability to deal with some of the hardships that you and I experience regularly as adults. I'm fearful of that. I'm fearful that next Sunday as we come together, we have this big celebration event uh, that we may not raise the $2.5 million that we're hoping to raise so that we can uh, fund a future building, a future home for Metro Community Church. I struggle with fear. What kind of fears do you struggle with today? Are you afraid that you might lose your job? Maybe your company's struggling right now and you're, and you're afraid that you might get that pink slip one day. It's a legitimate fear. Are you, fear that, are you fearful of maybe that you might not get a job? Maybe you're looking for work and you're, you're sending out resumes and you're going to interviews but just nothing is happening and, and you're afraid that you might be more, you might be unemployed for a lot longer than you had hoped to. That's a legitimate fear that you might be struggling with today. Are you afraid that you're gonna run out of money? Do you struggle with that? That maybe you're living sort of month to month, paycheck to paycheck and every month you're just barely making it, and so you're fearful of running out of money. Is that happening to you? Or you're fearful of maybe not getting married. Maybe as, you know, it's kind of wedding season. I went to, Pastor Doug got married last week. It was great. It was probably one of the best weddings I've been to. Um, you know, No offense if I went to your wedding, but it was really a great wedding. It really was. It was so much fun. Probably because one of our own got married, and so it was just a great, a great party. But uh, maybe you're getting older, and you're feeling like, is it going to happen? Am I going to get married? And you're not getting any younger, and, and, and you don't know if it's going to happen. It's a legitimate fear. It really is. Maybe some of you are afraid to get married. Maybe you're engaged or maybe you're dating somebody and they're saying, when are we going to get married? Come on. You're like, I don't know. Just wait. Don't put pressure on me. And so you're afraid to get married because you're not sure if this is the right person for you to marry. And so you're struggling with that kind of fear. And I totally get that as well. Maybe some of you are afraid that your marriage is never going to be right. That it's never going to be at a place where you can experience fun and joy and sense of peace and understanding and a true sense of intimacy with your spouse and you're sort of in that place in your marriage where you're struggling and, and you, you're afraid that you might not be faithful to the, to the vow that you took with God when you said that you'll be with each other till death do you part and you're struggling with that um, I can just go on and on I mean if you want me to I can but the list goes on and on I think all of us in this room we we struggle with fear at some capacity but the challenge is, is that we don't want the fear to become bad, where it paralyzes us and then it causes us to make terrible decisions and we react to it, and what happens is that we sang that song today, kind of masters us in some ways. The goal is that we want to take that fear and we want to allow it to become fuel so that we can be more courageous. That's the goal, right? Because there would be no courage if there wasn't fear. So, courage, fear is very important for courage to exist. How do we become fearfully courageous? Last week, Pastor Senita did a great job introducing to you some oppositions that Nehemiah faced, Sembalit, Tobiah, and Geshem. These guys weren't just typical normal people. They were governors of their land. They were powerful political figures. And they were trying to thwart what God was trying to do through Nehemiah and the people of God. And she talked about how can we overcome opposition. Today, you're going to see that the threat continuously for Nehemiah's life is real. Fear is very real in his life. And we're going to learn how Nehemiah was able to fearfully be courageous and rise up to it and be even more faithful to God in the midst of the imminent fears and danger that lied in his life. And so, before, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 6, and we'll look at the first 16 verses of Nehemiah chapter 6, and we'll look at the first 16 verses. The first thing we learn in this pericope, in this passage, that we're going to look at is that uh, Nehemiah was fearfully courageous when he grew in spiritual discernment. All right, Nehemiah was able to be fearfully courageous because he had a real strong sense of spiritual discernment. Look at verse 1. Verse 1. When word came to Sembalat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sembalat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. At least they were persistent. They were trying to get Nehemiah to get away from Jerusalem to go to a place called Ono, which was about 27 miles away from Jerusalem. It was sort of like in between Samaria and Jerusalem. It was dead smack in the middle there. And the reason why they were doing that was because they were trying to take out their leader. Because if you can take out the leader of a, of a nation or of a people group, the flock will often scatter. And so Sambalit, Tobiah, and Geshem was trying. Four times they tried to get Nehemiah to come. And what I love about this was that Nehemiah had enough sense, enough spiritual discernment. As he kind of talked to God about this, he knew that this was a trap. And so four times he said, no, I'm not going to go. He didn't react to the imminent danger and the fear because their intentions were to take his life. Now, again, these are not just typical, just normal people that threaten them. I'm sure many of us have been threatened before. I don't know, maybe not even seriously, but I'm sure some people said, I'm going to kill you. All right. And you said, go ahead. I dare you. These were people who had armies. These were powerful people that wanted to take Nehemiah's life. The fear was real. And we find that Nehemiah had the spiritual discernment to know how to navigate through that so that he was able to determine that this was wrong. And the bad way to respond to this to this fear would be, okay, I'll go. And let's see if we can try to work this out so you try to stop doing what, what you're trying to do to our people. That would have been the bad thing. That's more of a reaction in a bad way. The good way was that he realized that they're trying to trap me and kill me. He had enough sense where God had sort of spoken to him, it's a trap, don't do it. And he just stayed firm to what he was told. It's hard to stay firm sometimes, isn't it? Especially when somebody just keeps asking you over and over and over. And oh, this is wear you down. And Nehemiah stayed firm because he has such a deep level of spiritual discernment. What we learned here in this passage that spiritual discernment is such a key component, is that it's really a matter of life and death. And every single one of you in this room, you really can't grow in spiritual discernment. You can grow in it tremendously. But it's a choice that you have to make. You have to be willing to make the choice to grow in spiritual discernment. If you decide not to, then you're never going to be able to navigate through life. And you're certainly not going to be able to have the proper faculties to deal with fear in a very proactive way the way Nehemiah was able to. You're not going to be able to be fearfully courageous if you don't grow in spiritual discernment. all, so how do we grow in spiritual discernment? I guess that's a real important question. The, the real, the first thing, there's two things that Nehemiah did so beautifully. And the first thing you hear every single Sunday, because again, he was truly this. He did this all the time. He was a man of prayer. Nehemiah prayed regularly. Even in this passage, he prayed twice. He said, God, strengthen my hands. Because the fear was getting to him. He was getting weak. He was struggling. He said, God, would you strengthen my hands? so I could finish this work. And the other time he prays in this passage, he prays a very interesting prayer. And I want to draw your attention to it in verse 14. Look at what he says at the end, because again, Tobiah, Sembalah, and these guys are trying to take him out. Look at what he says to God. He prays to God, he says, remember Tobiah and Sembalah, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet, Noadiah, and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. You know what kind of prayer this is? This is called an imprecatory prayer. You know what kind of prayer it was? Nehemiah was basically saying, God, take them out. Judge them. May your justice roll down from heaven, and may you deal with them harshly because of what they're trying to do to me. And it wasn't just him trying to think about self-preservation, because they were trying to mess up what God was calling Nehemiah and the people of God to do. Now, when was the last time you prayed an imprecatory prayer? Some of you are like, whoa, really? I can pray those prayers? Don't get any ideas now, all right? Just because somebody doesn't like you and says some bad things about you, you can't be praying these imprecatory prayers. An imprecatory prayer is something that you should be praying if God is leading you and you have a symphony of people that confirm something that God is calling you to do, the way Nehemiah was confirmed in that way through the people of God. And as as you're doing it faithfully and people are coming against you, then you can pray, God, may your justice roll down from heaven. That's a powerful prayer. Nehemiah was so tight with God that he was even able to pray in precatory prayers. In fact, we find even before he went to the king, Artaxerxes, to ask him to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city, he prays and fasts for four months before he even goes and approaches the king. How many of us have the ability to do that? Every part, every chapter you read, Nehemiah is praying, and I love the way he does this because as he's praying to God, he truly is drawing strength from him, growing in his understanding because he's developing a deeper relationship with God, and as a result, of that he's better able to spiritually discern and deal with his fears in a very proactive way. I love it. And so how are we praying today? I do believe many of you do pray, but I want to encourage you. Can you sort of put to rest your requests for a while? That if that's sort of the, 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 the nucleus or the genesis of all the things that you pray to God about, put it to rest because God already knows. The Bible says he already knows what you need. He knows your prayers, even before you pray them. Would rather God, you know why he gave you the gift of prayer and gave me the gift of prayer? It's so that we can develop a deeper relationship with him. And so what God would rather have when we come to him in prayer is kind of what Nehemiah did here. He said, God, strengthen my hands. Meaning, Nehemiah was very honest and open about what he was feeling. He was very forthright with what he was going through emotionally with God. And can I just encourage you that as you pray to God in the the upcoming days and in the weeks, engage with him emotionally to the point where you are so raw and honest with what you're feeling and what you're going through in your life with him. God loves it when we come to him that way because he created us so that we can be his God and we can be in a relation with him and that he can listen to us and help us and guide us along the way in the things that we're struggling with with and that we're fearful about don't let your fears get the best of you be courageous grow in intimacy with God in that way and then after you share your heart like that with God make sure you cover those times also with some silence so that you could hear from God because God often speaks in silence we learn that even from the word of God now that's the first part the other part is just Reading the Bible, the scriptures is very important. Now, I know a lot of you know that to be true in some ways, but it's, it's, it's a very difficult challenge, I think, for this generation today. I don't know why it is. I think part of it is because we're not really a reading generation. We're more of a listening and a watching generation. Well, you can listen to the Bible. There's audio Bibles now out there. That as you're driving to work or on the bus to work, you can listen to the word of God. There are ways in how you can engage with God and learn because the Bible truly helps you and I to understand better who God is so that we can live in a healthier relationship with him. Amen? Amen. The Bible is there for us. And sometimes it's, it's amazing that we're unwilling to really go there. You see, Nehemiah, when you look at Nehemiah chapter 8, and get a chance to read that because we can't cover that next week, but in Nehemiah chapter 8, after they rebuild the wall, he gets gets all the people of, of Jerusalem to sit down. Ezra the prophet stands, and he reads for hours upon hours the Mosaic laws. They had to do that back then because most of the people were illiterate, so they couldn't read it for themselves. And so as Ezra was the prophet was speaking and sharing and reading God's word, People of God were learning things about God. They were rejoicing, and they were worshiping God in spirit and in truth. It was a beautiful, beautiful exchange of what was going on. And so the word of God has to be something that you and I devote our lives to. we got to make time and space for prayer and the word of God so that we can grow in spiritual discernment. And we grow in spiritual discernment as we have a relationship with God. The greatest tools for us to deepen our walk with God is through prayer, and through reading the word of God. We are able to grow in deeper spiritual discernment when we do that. Uh, My son, Christian, is 12 years old. He's a baseball player, and uh, he likes the game of baseball. He's been really struggling at the plate these days. Uh, He's been striking out almost every time as he goes up to the plate. And it's been stressing me out as his dad, to be quite honest. And I said to him, I said, "Um, hey, what's going on with you? And because he doesn't, he's got good hand-eye coordination. He doesn't usually strike out. He, I mean, he'll, you know, maybe hit a small little soft roller to the pitcher or something like that, or it's a shortstop, but he doesn't normally strike out. And so I said, what's going on? And he said, I can't, um, I can't see the ball that well from the pitcher's hand. And I said, well, then you just got to Focus. Or maybe he's hiding it a little bit, but you got to be able to locate it as soon as he's like this. you got to be able to see the ball right there. Because if you're waiting to find the ball as soon as he lets it go, it's too late. You're going to strike out. And so I just told him that. I was like, you got to be able to see it from here. He's like, it's kind of hard, though. And I said, focus. You can do it. If you focus, you can do it. We went to the batting cages about a week and a half ago. And I said, you know what? I said, why don't you wear your glasses? Let's just see what happens. And, you know, his eyes aren't that bad because he only wears it for school when he looks at the, tr- at, at the board. And we asked his uh, eye doctor about a year and a half ago, does he need this for baseball? And she said, no, his, the, the prescription is so low, it's, he doesn't need it. So he just never thought to really wear it. And so he put it on, he went to the batting cages, and he was just hitting every ball that was coming at him. Where last time I took him, he was missing almost every ball. And I said, are you able to see the ball better because you wear your glasses? He's like, yeah, I can see the ball. I just said, well, as a Christian, um, like, did you, so the ball was blurry. It's not that you couldn't see it out of the pitch, said, like you just can't see it because it's blurry. He said, yeah, it's blurry. I said, hey, what's going on in that little mind of yours? Like, <laughs> when you see that something is blurry, shouldn't your little brain tell you? I should put on glasses because I own a pair of those and it's gonna help me to see the ball better. And I said, why didn't you put on your glasses? He just said, I don't know. (laughs) I still don't understand him. I don't understand how he operates and how he thinks sometimes. It boggles my mind. And sometimes I think God is like that with us. That as you struggle with fear, he's saying all you have to do is come to me and pray. Search me through the scriptures. Why can't you do it? You know what you have to do. Why don't you do it? And a lot of us, our answer is, I don't know. (laughs) And like my son, you're striking out all the time because of that. God has called you and I to be courageous. It is not just the few that are. No, we all can be. Fear is what allows us to become courageous if we deal with it in a proactive way. But we gotta be willing to grow in spiritual discernment because if we're not gonna be in that relation with God, you're never going to be able to know what is the right path in which God is leading you to. And I'm not an expert in this. I'm trying to get better at it as I get older with God. But if you're not going to devote time in prayer and connecting with God and searching and learning more about him through the scriptures, it's going to be difficult for you to navigate through life and understand that God is a part of it. And your fears will be so big that it'll begin to master you. And when fear becomes your master, it is a horrible, horrible place to be make the worst decisions ever and you strike out all the time in life because of it will you grow in spiritual discernment will you grow in spiritual discernment second we're fearfully courageous when we are set free of what others think of us we are set free when we are set free of what others think of us this is probably one of the most prominent ones that we struggle with how many times have you made decisions based upon fear that somebody may not like you How many of you have sacrificed even your own bodies to sleep with somebody because you're afraid that if you didn't offer your body to them, they wouldn't like you anymore? How many times have you made decisions at work that compromise your integrity and your character as a Christian because you wanted your boss to like you so that you can get a bonus or or a promotion? How many times have we compromised our integrity because we wanted people to like us? Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. Then the fifth time, Sambalas sent his aide to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah, Now, this report will get back to the king, Artaxerxes. So come, let us meet together. Yo, that fear was real. That was serious fear. And look what it says in verse 8. I sent them this reply Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. This is a real threat. When Nehemiah received an unsealed letter, back in those days, whenever there was an important letter, especially from like a, a political figure, it was always sealed to ensure that the sealing of that letter meant that nobody read it because it was private. When the letter was opened, what that meant was that the mailman probably read it. Other people probably read this letter and that rumors were going out now. And if those rumors, when it landed into the years of King Artaxerxes, who was Nehemiah's Nehemiah was his cupbearer, and he sent him on his good graces to go back and to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and then to come back and work for him in the palace. If Artaxerxes heard that Nehemiah is now trying to become king, and he's got a group of prophets that try to affirm that, and he's trying to go to war against them, what do you think Artaxerxes is going to do? Even if it was just a rumor, what do you think he's going to do? Back in those days, he would have sent his army to take him out. And so here is Nehemiah, and he's worried. He hears about this. He gets an unsealed letter. He's looking at the accusations, and he's And he's struggling with fear, but he has enough spiritual discernment and he's able to say, no, you guys are all making this up in your head. I'm not going to deal with this. Why was he able to do that? Because he was set free from what other people thought of him, even the king of Persia. I mean, if I was him, I probably would have told the people in Jerusalem. I would say, hey, guys, I'm going to go for a few days. I got to go to Susa, hang out with the king. I got to just let him know that these rumors that he might hear are completely false. So he doesn't send his army to kill us. That would be kind of a smart thing to do. But Nehemiah didn't care. He didn't care what the king thought at the end of the day. He was set free what other people thought of him, even powerful people. Because at the end of the day, you know what? Nehemiah knew who he truly was. He knew who he truly was. He knew he was a child of God. Do you know that you're a child of God today? How many of you watched the royal wedding? Let me see your hands. Raise your hand. And guys, we won't make fun of you if you raise your hand. You liars. I know you watched it. Come on. The whole world stopped to watch the royal wedding, right? I mean, seven o'clock on a Saturday? You guys don't even like to wake up till like noon on Saturdays. And there was this one person, a friend of mine on Facebook. I know she don't like waking up early. She lives in Manhattan. She must have gotten up at 6 or 5.30. She wore an English outfit. She took a cab over to the Waldorf Astoria and had an English breakfast and took a selfie and said, I'm watching the royal wedding. I mean, the world just stopped to see these two young people become prince. Well, he was already prince. Princess of England. And I asked somebody in our church, I said, what's the fascination with this stuff? And she said, it's because it's like a fairy tale. Everyone dreams of being a prince or a princess. Do you know that you are a prince and a princess to the God of this universe? The world stopped to watch a prince and a princess of a tiny little country like England. No offense if you're English, (laughs) forgive me. (laughs) But you are a prince and a princess to the king of this universe. You're royalty. Do you know who you are? Because if you know who you are, you'll be set free from what other people think of you. And listen, it's not a bad thing to want people to like you. It's not a bad thing. But when you're obsessed with it, then you are so worried. And it becomes bad when you can't sleep because you think somebody may not like you anymore. Do you know who you are? Do you know that you're a prince and a princess? You're the king of kings and lord of lords. My hope is that you would truly know that and you would be able to be strong and firm, be able to move forward, know who you are, be set free of what others think of you, and be determined because if God is calling you to do something, if he's leading you somewhere, no matter what opposition comes your way, no matter what fear comes your way, know who you are. Keep your head up high and just move forward. Be set free. It's so freeing when you can be set free of what other people think. Years ago, about five years ago, um, I came to the office and Jenny, who was our bookkeeper back then, she's now living in D.C. with her husband. Um, she was so angry. She just said, "Get in this office." I said, "Oh, right, what's going on?" She said, "Pastor Peter, a couple people from our church went to a different church this past Sunday, and they told me that the leaders of their church told us that we should leave, that they should leave Metro because we use tithe money to send pastors on European vacations, particularly to Spain." That's what he said. (Laughter) Oh, Tim is so good. (laughs) She was so angry. I saw the the eyes, her eyes. She's angry. You can just look at her eyes. She goes, do you know the pastor? I said, no, I know him. She goes, well, then you got to call him and tell him that he's got to tell his church people to stop spreading these rumors. And I just said, no, it's okay. Don't worry about it. I got a little chuckle out of it. I said, Jenny, It's fine. You know that's not true because you do our books. I know it's not true. Why do we have to spend time and energy trying to, you know, disprove something? I said, and if those people want to leave our church because of a rumor and they don't want to check it out with us, then maybe they shouldn't be with us. Maybe they've already thought in their mind they want to leave Metro, right? And so I just said, don't worry about it. She goes, how could you be so calm? I was like, well, we know the truth. We're set free of what others think of us because we know we're children of God. The best way and how, one of the best ways in how you can overcome the fears that you're going through today is to just be, just to know that you are a child of God and that don't worry so much what other people think of you and hopefully you can sleep really well at nights when you know that there's some people that don't like you. I mean, Jesus had to do that regularly because people didn't like him. Third and very last thing is that we're fearfully courageous when we are only loyal to God. Only loyal to God, all right? Now, that's hard because there's so many things that compete for our loyalty, but let's just finish this up, verse 10. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Methabel, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you by night. They are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambalad had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elu in 52 days. Guys... They finished building these walls in 52 days. Do you know that I don't think we can do that today in 2018 even though we have a lot of machines? Can I just share with you how big this wall was? You know how long it was? It spread 2.5 miles long. Think about that. It was 40 feet high and it was eight feet thick. They built it with their hands. No machinery and they did it in 52 days. And because they did it in 52 days, it was a miracle. Look what it says in verse 16. I love this. I love this. It says, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Oh, it's so beautiful. So beautiful. The third scheme that Tobiah and Sembalah were trying to do against Nehemiah is probably the worst because when you and I are struggling spiritually, what do we do to find comfort and guidance We oftentimes go to a pastor or a spiritual person, don't we? We look to a spiritual figure to receive some words of encouragement. And that's what Nehemiah was doing. A threat was out in his life. He was struggling with that reality. He probably thought Artaxerxes might even hear about this. So he went to go see a prophet so that he can sort of gain some spiritual confidence through this. And what happens? This guy, Shammai, was paid off by Tobiah and Samballot so that he can lure Nehemiah into the temple, close the doors, hopefully get him to the altar. And what happens if somebody goes to the altar and they're not a high priest? They're to be killed, the law says. Even if Nehemiah didn't do that and he stayed outside of the altar, the temple doors were closed, there were no witnesses. And if Shemaiah, because he's a prophet, said Nehemiah did this, it would be his word against Nehemiah's. And who do you think people would have believed? The prophet, of course. So this was a major trap and they were trying to lure him in there. And they were hoping that because Nehemiah feared for his life that he would do this, but he didn't. Why? Because he was loyal only to God. He was loyal more to God than he was to even himself in his own life. And that's a beautiful thing. And I wish we can all be like this. And I know it's not the easiest thing, because sort of, I think we live in a day today, self-preservation is everything. But Nehemiah was more loyal to him, to God, than to anyone else, even if it meant him dying for it. And I think all of us in this room, We're loyal to something or someone or some things. We're naturally loyal just as people. We just are. No one ever taught you to be loyal, but we're so loyal sometimes, aren't we? Even if things or people disappoint us, we're still loyal no matter what. Like some of you in this room, you will never switch your phone to an Android if you have an Apple. (laughs) I, I have an Android. It's a great phone. But like you think that's like horrible and you're like you're so loyal to Apple. I don't know what it is about Apple that's allowed you to be so loyal but no matter what, you will never switch. You're just so loyal, you know how to be loyal, right? Some of you are so loyal in terms of party lines. You're such a hardcore Republican or Democrat, right? You're so loyal but I think both parties really get it wrong. And there are issues with both parties but you're so loyal to a specific party even though they disappoint you sometimes. We're so loyal, aren't we? Right? And you know, Jesus is not a Democrat, nor is he a Republican. If anything, I think he's like an independent. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't go along major party lines, because if he did that, he wouldn't have chosen the 12 disciples to be his disciples. He picked the greatest misfits of his day. He would have picked probably one of those kids that were being tutored by a rabbi. Right? But he went, and he went through the margins to receive. Some of us are so loyal, even in party lines, some of us are so loyal to certain sports teams, like the Mets, I mean, they're terrible. They disappoint you every year. But you're still so loyal to them. It's amazing. No, I'm sorry if you're a Mets fan, but really, like my brother-in-law, if I can just make fun of him a little bit, he, he's brainwashed all three of his kids to love the Mets. And they all know I'm a Yankee fan. And you know what they do when they come to my house? When they see me, they go, Yankee, stanky. That's what they say to me every time. And even before his son, his last kid was born, and he knew it was a boy, he had a whole Mets wardrobe for her son. I mean, so loyal. Even though they disappoint him every single year. Seriously. The Jets, every year they disappoint you. They haven't won since the 70s. You're so loyal. So loyal. How can we be so loyal to a sports team that disappoints us? And how come you cannot be loyal to a God who might disappoint you from time to time? Why? Why can't we be loyal to God? And you know, God may disappoint us, but it's not because he's trying to hurt us. But he knows what's best for us. And God is always in the business of redeeming things that look like death in our lives. And a lot of times we don't want to go through the death because we're, we don't want to experience that. And we'd rather have God just sort of help us to get out of something that we might be struggling with today. Nehemiah was only loyal to God, and that loyalty was such a beautiful thing that that happened for him. And God is encouraging you you and I to do the same. Will we be loyal to God? You don't think Nehemiah was disappointed in God? All these people trying to kill him, powerful people. He's like, God, you sent me to do this. What's going on? Protect me. But he was still loyal, even if it meant giving up his life. Only God deserves our loyalty. Can I just share this with you? If you demand loyalty from other people, you're not in a good place. I met up with somebody of about a month and a half ago, and he kept saying, you know, loyalty is more important than anything else. And I just was very honest with him in, a, in, the, in the best way I could. I said, do you realize you're, you're, you're really struggling with low self-esteem? That loyal, like demanding loyalty from other people is a form of narcissism. Because the only one that demands lo- that we should be loyal to is God and God alone. He came and died for us on the cross. We're called to love people. And hopefully loyalty can be a byproduct of it. But you can't demand it out of people. You can't force people to be loyal to you. It just doesn't happen that way. We're called and we were wired and created to be loyal only to God and that's it. And if we can be loyal to God, then we can be loyal to other things in life as well. But that being loyal to God is the key, key thing. So we've been in this... Capital Campaign now, going on to its fifth week now. Next Sunday is going to be the big Sunday. We all come together as a congregation. And I just want to thank you for praying and fasting for the past 40 days and kind of helping us to discern and kind of and what God is leading us sort of as a church. So I want to thank you for that. So hopefully you've prayed and fasted. Next Sunday is a big Sunday because we're going to come together. We call it a celebration event. We're going to have some great food after the second service, so make sure you stick around for that. But we're going to come together. We're all going to have a card, and we're going to fill out a commitment card. And the commitment card is simply... Um, how much can you give financially above and beyond your normal giving to this church to contribute to Metro's future home? And that's what we're going to do next Sunday. We're excited about that. We're going to encourage you guys to bring your first fruits offering towards that as well, if you can, that will help in whatever that amount it is that God has placed upon your heart that you can bring a first fruits offering to that and we'll put that in a whole separate account that's not gonna be sort of um, um, uh, with our other accounts and stuff like that and it'll stay in a building fund in that way. Um, We've shared a lot with you over the last couple of weeks about this building but the one thing we have not shared with you is a location and part of it is because we didn't fully know that we're just kind of exploring. We didn't want to jump the gun, and and, and I'm I'm sort of hesitant to kind of share this, but we've been really praying as a leadership team and as a staff, and, and we've been sort of going through this. We've done some prayer walks in the neighborhood, and we feel that God is really leading our community to pursue Liberty School as the future home of Metro Community Church. All right, Liberty School. Now that's, if you, don't, if you don't know where Liberty School is, you know the circle on Palisades Avenue, there's like an H Mart on your left, on the right is a school, Liberty School, right here. And uh, the building is really old. It was built in 1905, so it's uninhabitable, uh, meaning like, it's just, you can't. We were there about five, six weeks ago with our denomination, and we, they brought in an expert builder to kind of look at it, and, and the basement was flooded with water. I mean, it was just really, it was really hard. And so uh, the building literally is, lies kind of in ruins. And, um, you know, uh, we've, we kind of sense the sense of peace in God leading us. And, and really, spiritual discernment played a key role in this. It was through the prayer as you joined us in prayer, but it was also through the, uh, through the Bible. And, again, I can't tell you how important this is because Nehemiah, when we studied the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah went to the king and said, hey, can you send me to Jerusalem so I can rebuild the city because it lies in ruins? And we sense now that our God is leading us as a church to go forward and to go to the government of the city and say, would you send us? Because this building lies in ruins. Send us and we'll rebuild it for you. And God is leading. Now, I don't know if they're going to sell it to us. I don't know if they're going to rent it to us. We're not sure, but we're in that place where we're engaging in deep conversations with that. And uh, this past past week, um, I met up with the chief of police and the captain of uh, Englewood. Great guys. And we started talking about Metro Life and things like that. And and as I was talking to him, I said, hey, chief, I said, can I ask you a question? I said, if there's one thing, one program that maybe we can create or partner with you in that can help sort of the greatest in impacting sort of uh, the young people here in this community to lessen juvenile crime, I said, what would it be? So I thought he was going to maybe share a program. But you know what he said? He just said, a community center. This city needs a community center. And I said, well, I'm so happy that you said that. And then I just started sharing with him sort of God (laughs) leading us and what he's planning to do. And he was very excited to hear what what God was doing. And that was great. And then three weeks ago, Michael Wiles was here, and he was sitting right there on, on, on my left and Michael Wiles is running for mayor. The primary election is actually on June 6th. And I just wanna encourage any Englewood resident, please vote. We're not gonna tell you who to vote for, but just vote. It's important that you do your responsibility, your, your, your duty. I'm gonna vote for my town. I live in Leonia, so please do vote. But Michael was here about three weeks ago. The First time he came in and checked out our church. And, um, and it was just kind of good to connect with him. And, and it was the first time anyone who was running for mayor ever came to our church. And that was kind of a neat thing. Last Sunday, I I wasn't here because I preached at my friend's church, Preston Thompson's church, out at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Englewood. And Michael just showed up. He sat right in the front. And you know what he did? As soon as we laid eyes, he said, hey, look, I got the band on still. (laughs) And I just thought, oh, this has got to be a sign. So I said, can we get together? I said, can I text you? And we get together. And so I did. And Kevin, myself, and Sunita, we met with him on Friday. And uh, I didn't know what to expect and I thought, you know what, let's just try to figure this out and see what happens and we sat down with him and he said, um, I want you guys to know that if I ever become mayor, and you know, he used to be, he was mayor from 2004 to 2010 in this city, he said if I ever become mayor, this was my, my number one agenda as mayor of Englewood is building a community center for the city of Englewood. That was my number one agenda even before I really knew of you guys. And he said, you know, I walked into your church several weeks ago. And he said, there's something going on in your church. There's something special that's happening there. And he says, I want to do whatever I can to help Englewood and even your church so that we can build this community center together. And so I said, well, listen, I said, we really want to pursue Liberty School. What are the chances? And so he laid out a realistic picture of how hard this is going to be who do we have to connect with? How this is gonna happen? But he says, I'll quarterback the whole thing. And, uh, and it was just like one of those crazy, crazy kind of meetings and you know, and, and I know he's a politician. I know he wants to become mayor. I know I'm gullible. I'm very <laughs> gullible, all right? That's why I brought Kevin and Sunita with me because I'm so gullible and I'm like, really? Wow, <laughs> praise the Lord. I know I'm gullible. But listen, man, if he messes with us, we can pray the imprecatory prayer. (laughs) Serious, dude. Better know who he's messing with. Shoot, he ain't messing just with me. Messing with God, right? And so, but we just walked out of there, and I just think, man, what what do you guys think? And we were all just like, this is crazy. That if something like this were to happen, because we can't get Liberty School, because Ingle was trying to make this a historical landmark. And for a government to work with a church in the midst of all the different things that are happening in this town would really be impressive. And I don't know if we're going to get it, but I'm here to ask you to pray with us and to believe and that we would continue to move forward in doing this. But you know, um, I, Liberty was always on the table when we first announced the building campaign to you. But you know why we didn't want to share it? It's because I was afraid. I was really afraid. Seven years ago, I met with the mayor and I talked to him about Given us the ice rink. And he said, that'll never happen. But he said, liberty might happen. We brought it and it's available. And he gave me numbers to call, and I called him. I met up with some people, and they said, it's never gonna happen. Don't even think about it. It's never gonna happen. And so it was just daunting. And through this time of just kind of working together as a team and praying and discerning, we're just gonna move forward. God is leading us. There's a spiritual discernment of how God's leading us. And we're going to be set free from what other people think. Even, even, you know, what some of you might even disagree with what we're trying to do. And you know what? Listen, I respect that. But we have discerned, we have prayed, and we're going to move forward and do what God has called us to do. Because at the end, we're going to be loyal to God and no one else. Amen. And our loyalty to God will be the thing that we hopefully will be known for. And as we do that, hopefully the way these people outside of Jerusalem, they say they all were struck with fear because of what God was doing. And I pray that we will come together as a church. This will unify us, not divide us. And as we get unified together as a church, that we would come together and through our loyalty, that people would see that this is a miracle, but they would know that this is from God. It is not because of people got together to do this. God opened the door for this to happen. So will you join us? Because there will be opposition and it will be pretty formidable. But will you join us in that? And if you're going through anything right now in your own personal lives where you're struggling with fear, Will you grow in spiritual discernment? Will you learn to be set free of what other people think of you? Know who you are. You are a royal child of God. And will you learn to be more loyal to your God? If we do that, we too can be like Nehemiah and be fearfully courageous. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer.